Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. And say good morning to those who are watching up in the classic service. We're glad to have you with us. We're uh, glad those who are watching online today. Man, we are packed out this morning. It's almost like you have something to get to this afternoon. Everybody's up and at it. They're prayerful. So prayerful today. In fact, uh, yeah, we're celebrating Super Bowl Sundays, kind of the new American holiday uh, that uh, is kicked in with it. In fact, I, I was reading that uh, a couple of years ago they did a stat. How many people believe God's interested in the Super Bowl? So much so that if I pray that he will intervene, 27% of people believe that God will intervene in the game. That number's probably higher in the Bay Area right now. Yes, many of you are praying that God will help his faithful son, Brock Purdy, who loves Jesus, to, to overcome the Swifty Empire. Yes, yes, you're praying in that way, admit it. Now on the flip side, 20% of people believe that their, their team is cursed. True, 20%. And as a Cowboys fan, yes, I fall into that. God is smiting us. Yes, we, we feel it in that way. Um, uh, yeah, we, we obviously don't believe that uh, God is worried about outcomes of football games, but we hope that today is a great celebration. I, I'm hopeful on both teams. They're followers of Jesus. I have been so impressed with Brock and his testimony in that. And so I, I'm hoping today they get an opportunity to give God glory through the abilities that he's given them on both teams with that. So it's a great celebration with it. In fact, in light of Super Bowl Sunday, today, you're gonna hear a super message. <laughs> no, I guarantee it, super message today. Now, some of you are excited. Some of you just got a little skeptical. You're like, all right, bring it on, preacher man. Well, I'll let you know whether it's super or not. Now, I'm not talking about my message. I'm hopeful (laughs) with my message, but we're actually gonna read, we're gonna hear a message that changed thousands of lives in one day. And, And we're gonna do a little bit different today because it's such an incredible message. We're gonna read through it, we're gonna follow with it. So you need to get, get your Bibles out. We're in the book of Acts. You need to get your Bibles out. You need to turn to Acts chapter three. If you didn't bring a Bible today, take one of the blue ones right in front of you. We'll be following the same translation. It's page 1082, page 1082. While you turn there, I just kind of remind you where we are in it. We've launched in the book of Acts. Jesus is launching his church. And when you go through a book like this, especially a narrative like Acts, where, where there's all these incredible stories, there's these cool things going on, it's easy to get sidetracked to get in the weeds. And I want us to make sure as a church, we wanna step back because we're we're not only learning what God did in that time, we're learning what does he wanna do in our time? And what do we take away out of it? And a couple of weeks ago, I told you a principle, it's actually from Stephen Covey, but it's a principle of life, it's a principle that we wanna keep as we go through this book. This principle is the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's, write it down. This is true in all of life. 
It's true of any organization. It's true of maybe a business that you lead or venture that you're in. The main thing, the main thing is how do I keep the main thing, the main thing? And, and I want to make sure in the book of Acts, because we can chase all these different things that we see. God's doing some real unique things in that time. And sometimes we get sidetracked in Acts because we keep trying to chase different parts of it. I want to make sure we keep the main thing, the main thing. What's the main thing in the book of Acts? Jesus told us. He told his church, he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit's come. He told them, man, we're about to launch this church through the power of the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. And then, and then he says in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the end of the age. And so we know it's still going now, lest you think, well, it's a different main thing. No, it's still, are we at the end of the age yet? Nope. Has Jesus returned? Yep. Nope. This is the main thing. You're going to be my witnesses around the world. And, and I gotta tell you, aren't you thrilled that they kept it the main thing? Because here we are in San Jose, California, we're 7,400 miles from Jerusalem. We're 1,990 years from this day. And here we are as a church filled from, with people from all over the world and we know Jesus because that group kept it the main thing. That group shared it and from generation to generation to generation. So in our time frame, we wanna look at it and go, man, how do we live that out? How do we do that? And so as you look at it today, we're gonna to look at the main thing in action. We're gonna see how they did this. And we're gonna cover a couple of chapters in this. We're gonna see a couple of contexts and you're gonna hear an incredible sermon from Peter. And in it, Peter uses this circumstance to show us, man, how do we share this too? And so as we go through this, if you look in Acts chapter three, let me just give you a little context with it. Peter and John are walking into the temple. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon. They're going for daily prayers. They're going because they've engaged in worship and they continue to do so. And there right by Solomon's gate, the beautiful gate, there was a man who was lame. It says that his friends would carry him there every day. Later in the chapter, we learn he's over 40 years of age. People have seen this guy there every single day. He wasn't allowed to go in the temple. He couldn't engage in worship. He would lay there and he'd beg for alms. He'd beg for just people, give me some money to get through life. That was his lot in life. And Peter and John are walking and he looks up at Peter and he says, hey, can you give me some money? And Peter looks at him and says, I don't have any money. And so not real wealthy being an apostle. He goes, I, I don't have any money, but I'll tell you what I do have. Through the power of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And, and Peter suddenly has this, this power. There was a Jesus. This is a Jesus-like miracle. These are the kind of things Jesus would do. And, and it says, remember I told you Luke's a doctor and as he writes about it, he not only gets up and, and note if you read in the text, he doesn't like, like, oh, barely get up and he takes one step and everybody cheers with it. It says he gets up and Luke describes it, his bones literally go back in the joint. He suddenly has muscle where he's not had muscle before. Nerves are firing that have never fired before. His brain has muscle memory that it's never had before. He doesn't get up and then have to 
try to go through therapy. It says he gets up and he starts leaping. He starts running. He goes from lame to leaping in one moment. He, he goes from begging to praising. Everybody's paying attention to it. And, and the crowd goes from looking at him and pitying him in his condition to being amazed by him. And suddenly everybody turns because everybody knew this guy. Everybody had seen this guy. And they're going, him? That happened to him? And they all come, come running toward Peter. And, and Peter suddenly has this audience. He suddenly has attention. He suddenly has the favor of the people. And look what he does in this moment. I mean, he has the power to heal. He could have started a healing crusade right there. He, he, he could have used it as a platform to go, hey, we don't have any money. Would you support our ministry? Would you be a follower of Peter? Look what I can do. Now in that moment, and here's what I want you to see, what's the main thing? As great as any other thing he could have done was, the main thing was, oh, I have an opportunity right now to give witness to who Jesus is and to share the good news. Re read with me, let's go through Acts chapter three together, starting verse 11 with me. I just want you to hear his sermon with it. And, and while he clung, this man is just, he's, he's holding on to Peter and John. He's so excited. He's hugging them. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, was he, when Peter saw it he addressed the people. Listen to what he says. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? He says, Let, let's be absolutely clear. This isn't a Peter thing. This isn't us. We don't have the power to do this. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. Now remember, he's talking to a Jewish audience here. They've gathered at the temple. And so he wants to tie into them, hey, what you're seeing here goes all the way back to our history. This, this was God's plan all along. The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. Now he turns it pretty quick. He goes, hey, remember, it wasn't that long ago, Pilate brought Jesus out and he said, hey, I wanna release him. And what did you guys all cry? Did you say release him? No, you said crucify him. But you denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You asked for Barabbas instead of Jesus. You killed the author of life, <laughs> whom God actually raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, we've seen it. And, and he says in this, and by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So he wants to connect the dot. He goes, man, you're seeing this miracle. It's amazing. Let me tell you, the only way it happened is through the one who was killed and rose again. Now, then he keeps going with it. He says, now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. You didn't realize he was actually the author of life. You didn't realize he was God when you did that, as did the rulers also. 
But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Now again, he goes, man, God's been telling us through the prophets, we just needed to pay attention. Then he turns to him, he says, so what do you do in response? He says, you need to repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. He says, you you guys need to repent. You need to do that 180. You need forgiveness of sins. You need to experience Christ the way that we've experienced Christ, that refreshment that comes, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. He said, he has to be in heaven right now. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. He says, it's, it's the same thing. It's life or death. That you either follow who God sent or you are destroyed in the process. In fact, he says, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel, who those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God having raised up his servants, sent him first to you to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Peter takes this platform and, and This is a very directed message. He's speaking to a Jewish audience. So of course he's gonna meet them where they are. He's speaking to an audience that remembers Jesus. They were there, they were in Jerusalem. These are common events that they would know. So he ties into all those events, but notice he's putting this thread all the way through this. He's showing this Jewish audience, hey guys, this is a continuation of what God was gonna do all along. This was God's plan all along. Jesus is the Messiah we've been looking for. Jesus is the one that the prophets pointed to. Jesus is the one when he called our father Abraham out. And remember that promise he said to Abraham? He said, in you, the whole world's gonna be blessed. You know how they're blessed? They're blessed through Jesus. And he looks at all them and he goes, and you have the opportunity to turn from your sin, to turn from wickedness and experience life. Look at chapter four, what's the response? And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. These are all the same rulers, by the way, that crucified Jesus, that arrested Jesus. And especially the Sadducees, they didn't even believe in resurrection at all. They thought no one was resurrected. They basically taught, yes, it's good to follow God, but when you die, that's it. They come rushing forward, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. So they throw them in jail for the night. This ought to shut them up. Look at the next verse though. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men, just the men came to 5,000. Because we're talking thousands of people are coming to Christ off that message. Now you hear that message and you kind of go, well, it was good, But, but here's the deal. It was the perfect message in the perfect time because the perfect power of the Holy Spirit had prepared people to come to Christ. And Peter was the witness. Peter kept it the main thing. In fact, if you read on in chapter four, they're arrested. They bring him in before the authorities the next day. 
And, and they look at him and they go, hey, you guys spent a night in jail. Um, we're, we're here to put you on trial. I love how Peter responds to it. Look down in verse four, verse eight. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and the people and the elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, he said, really, are y'all gonna put us on trial because we healed, healed a crippled man? Really, that's wrong to do? By what means this man is be healed? Let it be known to you, all of you, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the foundation stone. The cornerstone was a cornerstone that the whole temple's built off of. And he said, that was the stone that was sent. It's the perfect stone. That's who Jesus represented. And you guys rejected him. It's Jesus. Look, he says he is the cornerstone. And then look at verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men among which you can be saved. He says he's, he's not only the cornerstone, he's the only way. And, and again, notice what Peter's doing. Remember, we want to step back. Look in both contexts. The day before, everybody loves him. He's healed people. He's healed a man. It's been a miracle. What does he do with that context? He says, oh, I got to share Jesus. The next day, he's on trial. He's got authorities. They're pressing down on him. What does he do in that context? Oh, I got to share Jesus. I got to share this gospel message. Remember, when the Holy Spirit comes, what's the main thing? You're going to be witnesses. Whether life's high, whether life's low, whether it's the good times or it's the hard times, as followers of Jesus who are filled by his spirit, we use that as a pointer to Jesus. And Peter gets very pointed and says, not only is he the cornerstone, he's the one that you rejected and he's the only way. And, and, and they look at him and they're kind of caught because they go, everybody's really excited about this guy. And yet we can't have them preaching. So they warn them. They go, look, we're going to let you guys go. But you got to stop talking about this. You can't say this anymore. We had enough trouble with Jesus. We're not going to have trouble out of you. And let me remind you when they say this, these are the same people that crucified Jesus. This isn't some kind of veiled threat or, or that. There's a real threat that's involved in it. Look, look at Peter's response to it. He says in verse 19, Peter and John answered, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you, you judge. R whether we're supposed to listen to what you're saying right now or we listen to God. Look at verse 20. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. He said, you can decide that we're wrong to do this. Here's all we know. We can't stop speaking about him. We can't stop telling people about him. It, it's our very purpose for being here. It's what Jesus said would happen. He said he's gonna fill us with the spirit. He said he would give us the words at the right time. He said we would even stand before authorities and powers. He said that we would face different things. And in all those circumstances... We have to point people to Jesus. So do what you will. And because the authorities didn't know what to do with them, they release them. 
And as you look at it, and I know here we are 2000 years later and we're in different circumstances. We don't go to temple. We don't have an exclusively Jewish audience. We're not facing the same things they faced. And yet we've been called to the same commission that they were called to. And I think when people go, man, I want to experience the acts like church. I want to be the church in acts and all the different parts of it. Let me tell you the core part of the church in acts. The main part of the church in acts is that they were witnesses to Jesus in every circumstance. And so how do we learn from that? How, how do we step back from that? And, and I want us to look at us, how, how do we keep that main thing? And, and if you look at three things in this context, you look at three things in the sermon in the context with it, the, the first part of it, you see their method. Second part, you see the message. And the final part, what's the means? What's the power to be able to accomplish this? Look, look at the first part, the method, the method they use. And I've been saying this with it, but you use every circumstance as an opportunity to point to Jesus. You use every circumstance. You use every part of your life. And, and so the reality is for some in the church, you're gonna have like an Acts 3 type encounter in that life is blessed. God is good. Things are good. You feel his hand on your life. You feel his power in your life. You feel it in your marriage. You feel it in your business. You feel it in your home. You're feeling all these things and God is blessing you just like Abraham. He blesses you so that you can be a blessing to the world. And in those high times, you point people to Jesus. When people go, man, I wish I had a marriage like yours. My lousy husband. And you go, you know, it really isn't just my husband. You know what makes my husband different? He, he's as flawed as your husband, I promise you. In some ways. But he's experienced Jesus. And it, it's changed our home. When, when, when somebody looks at you and goes, man, it must be nice to have your job in that context. But you go, you know, as great as a job is, let me tell you, it's not nearly as fulfilling as what I'm experiencing in my life through Jesus. When you go through whatever blessing in your life. Now here's the flip side. If you really want to be a witness for Jesus, when you hit the low times. When the diagnosis is not what you want. When, when, when you have those days, man, that you're struggling with it and you're struggling in your work and you're struggling. I promise you, people are paying attention. Do we use it as a pointer in that time to go, I don't understand what God's doing in my life, but I absolutely trust him. I'm, I'm gonna tell you some of the most powerful testimonies of the years are people who went through the lowest times, people who've gone through the hardest treatments. I know people in this body right now that you've used your opportunity when you go to chemotherapy, you use it as a chance to be a pointer for Jesus. You've used your, your sickness. You've used your loss. You've used the hardest times because you still trust him. And the power of your message to point people to Jesus is unbelievable. I got a text this morning from a member of our body. And he's been going through a cancer journey. And he's going in for a report on Tuesday. And I, I loved how he framed it. He said, would you please pray for me? One, I, I want to continue and see healing in my life. And I'm praying for a good report. And I'm hopeful I have a good report on Tuesday. So in that moment, man, I can talk to the doctor that I actually believe, man, God is the one who's healing me. He said, but if I get a bad report, I want to use that moment to point to Jesus that God's sustaining me. 
Because I, I would encourage you, because if you're like me, life gets busy and I can have good days and bad days and I'm so f- focused on the circumstances and the different parts of it that I miss that I have this unique platform, have this unique calling, have this unique opportunity, whether it's a high day or a low day, to share Jesus. And, and you know, one of the ways he redeems the low days the most, he redeems the struggles in life the most, is when he uses them to point other people to him. Don't squander that opportunity. And, and it takes a boldness. Peter has a boldness here that frankly is not natural to him. You know, isn't it interesting if you've read any of the gospels, Peter and the gospels, Peter and Acts so far? This is a different dude, isn't it? You know what the difference is? It's the Holy Spirit. There's this Holy Spirit boldness in it. And, and when you have those opportunities, do we step into it? I was reading a story about a, a little boy named Austin Blessed. When he was nine years old, he was getting his tonsils out. And, and while he was there and the doctors all around him, the anesthesiologist came over, he had all these frogs on his hat. And Austin loved the frogs. And about, when they were about finished with everything, Austin said, hey, can I talk to the doctor with the frog hat? And he came over to him, he goes, hey, do you go to church? And the doctor said, uh, well, no, maybe I should. Kind of stumbled. And then Austin looked at him, he goes, are you saved? <laughs> and he kind of goes, uh, well, uh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't. He goes, well, you should, because Jesus is awesome. After surgery, his mom, Tina's in the waiting room and the anesthesiologist came in. He said, hey, I, I just need to share something with you. Before I put him over under Austin stopped everybody. He said, I need to pray before the surgery. He said, then he prayed for all the doctors and nurses that they would have a good day. And he said, I want to pray for the doctor with the frog hat that he would know Jesus. He said, you know, I've seen a lot of people they want to pray in the moment. Usually they're praying for their surgery in themselves. And he just prayed for me. One of the nurses came around and told her, she said, you know, we've been talking to him for years. And he grabbed us today after surgery and he said, okay, I think you got me. He goes, if that little boy can pray for me like that, I think I need Jesus too. Now, now we look at it and we go, oh man, a childlike faith to step into it. But guys, I, I wonder how many opportunities are in front of us. That whether it's a, a good time or a hard time or a low time or whatever you're going through, do we look around and go, yeah, I wanna use this as a pointer to Jesus. And, and it may not be at a place that, man, you're ready to explicitly, man, tell them, but you can always point to them. And, and, and I'll be honest, I think there's more open doors than we give credit to. But it takes a boldness. It, it, it takes a purpose in life that we go, this is what we're here for, what God's called us to. Now, when we do that, I just walk you through the message, the four points of his message. Look what Peter did. He said, God only has one universal plan of salvation, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. If you go back through, and I'd encourage you sometime today or this week, read Acts 3 and 4 again. Read his message. Look how he weaves these same themes over and over again. 
His theme is this. God only has one plan for the world. It's always been his plan. It goes all the way back to the very beginning. It goes back to Abraham. It goes back to Moses. It goes back to the prophets. It's what he's always been doing. All of the Bible, all of scripture points to Jesus. That Jesus came as the author of life, as the only savior, and he lived and he died and he rose again. And then Peter said pretty explicitly, remember he's saying this to the authorities. He said, by the way, even though you are Jewish, even though you've had the scriptures, even though you're practicing it, (coughs) if you leave Jesus out, you've missed it. Because all of this, if it doesn't point to Jesus, you're creating something different. And, And his explicit words, and there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He said, no one else will save you. No other religion will do it. No other way will do it. Now, you may look at that, whoo, that's pretty exclusive. Where does Peter come off saying that? Well, he learned it directly from Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Guys, he's not saying this to antagonize. He's not saying this because, oh, we got the way. You guys don't have it. He doesn't care about that. He's not caught up in that. He's not trying to compare religions. He's not in this argument on all these different parts. He's just giving this explicit truth that he knows to be true. The only way that anyone gets out of this place, the only way that anyone experiences what God had planned is through Jesus. And he loves them enough to say it, to call him to it, even at the threat of his own life. He says, there's only one way of salvation. And as he says that, he calls everyone to that. And in calling them to that, he says, because we all have a universal problem, our sin and brokenness. We all have this, this brokenness. We all have this sin. We all have this problem with it. For them, notice how confronted he gets when both contexts. If you read back through it, how many times he says, hey, Jesus who came, yeah, you crucified him. You put him on a cross. You didn't ask for him to be released. And he says, you you were ignorant in, in part of what you're doing, but you absolutely put him there. And, and I go, whoa, you know, that's not the most friendly seeker message you could give in the world. Now, now part of what he's doing though, notice with that, he's talking to an audience, they all know the current events, this applies to them. I would not recommend that your opening salvo in a conversation with someone. Hey, you know, you crucified Jesus. They don't have any context for that. But, But there is a part of sometimes when we share the good news and we never talk about bad news. We're scared to talk about sin or or confront. He's not scared to confront, but notice the reason he confronts. There's two reasons you can confront. You can confront to condemn or you can confront to invite. When you confront somebody to condemn, it's like, I'm gonna tell you what you did wrong and you're out. It's like if a boss calls you in and says, hey, we need to talk about what you did last quarter. And they confront you, hey, here's your numbers, here's your behavior, here's what you did. Uh, why don't you stop by your desk and pick up your stuff? You're done. 
That's a confrontation to lead to condemnation. There's nothing else to be done. That's not what Peter's doing. That's not what we're called to do, by the way. We're not called to condemn the world, guys. And sometimes we like to gather and we get together with just each other and we love talking about how bad the world is and what's gonna happen to them. Instead of going out, and there is a place of confrontation. Hey, let's talk about your life. Let's talk about what's not working. But it's not for condemnation. Notice what he says. You crucified Jesus, but that same Jesus, oh man, he wants to give you life today. He wants to forgive you no matter what you did. No matter if you were even the person standing in front yelling out the words crucified, that doesn't matter. He wants to forgive you. And, and a key part of this good news is, man, just recognize it. We have a sin problem, guys. And everybody has it. And sometimes it's, it's okay to talk about, hey, what's not working, what's killing you so that you can see the solution. Could you imagine going into a doctor if you know you're sick or you're feeling something? And, and as you sit down to talk to the doctor, the doctors, you know, you go, hey, doctor, can I tell you my symptoms? No, 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 we're not gonna talk about bad things. You're not a bad person. Let's, just, let, let's talk about good, let, let's talk about how attractive a healthy life is. I mean, you can run, you can do things. Oh man, it's so vibrant. And you go, yeah, doc, can, can we talk about my symptoms? I wouldn't wanna go to a doctor who doesn't know what's wrong with me so they then can tell what's right with me. And, and what I like about Peter and what we're gonna see in the book of Acts, they don't mind talking to people and looking at them and going, hey, can I tell you what's wrong with you? Can I tell you what, what's not working? Can I tell you where you're broken? Can, can, I, can I tell you just a universal truth that we've all sinned? We're all experiencing it. We're all dying from it. And whether you think you put Christ on the cross or not, anybody who sinned, the reason he went to the cross is because you sinned. I put him there just as much as that first generation. And, and being willing to talk to people, sometimes even in a way that goes, hey, I gotta be direct with you about this, about what's going on in your life. Not because I'm here to condemn you, but you're never gonna see the invitation of the good news until you come to grips with the bad news of what's going on in your life. Third part then, he says, there's only one right response, repent and receive his forgiveness. Repent. And again, that's kind of a, a Bible-y word. It's not one we use as much. And, and you know, people go, oh, that's churchy with it. It was one of Jesus's favorite words, by the way. Jesus, who's the most loving person that walked around on this planet, loved people enough that even out of the gate, you look at Jesus' first ministry, this is the first thing that he preached. He just walked around and he goes, hey, you need to repent because the kingdom of God's here. There's a new way of living here. There's a new way of life, all of it. And you're not gonna be a part of it unless you repent. And he said it again and again and again and again. Why, because he's condemning everybody? No, he loves them. And he loves them enough to go, hey, let me tell you this term, repent. It's not, oh man, you weep so much. It's not that you did the perfect prayer or anything. It really is, there's a simplicity about it is, you recognize, oh, this is not working. You do a 180. You come to that place that you go, yeah, I am a sinner. Yeah, I am infected with this. Yeah, I need good news. And you do a 180 in life and you follow him. 
and you receive his forgiveness because he's my savior. And by the way, he's my Lord. So when I do the 180, it's not a one-time thing where I pray to prayer and I stop and I go, okay, I'm so glad that's done. No, I'm now saying I'm following him for the rest of my life. And, and it's really not locked up in saying a perfect prayer. It's not locked up on, oh man, you have to come or it's gotta be an altar call in that way. In fact, it's interesting to me, Peter gets to the end of his sermon. He gets arrested before he can lead anybody in prayer. Before he can do any call or anything else. And yet somehow thousands of people got saved. You know how? Because the Holy Spirit convicted at a point and what they did in that moment is yes, I need that forgiveness. And they started following from then on. It wasn't just, oh, they had a church service moment with that. They just said, oh, this is my life from now on. And, and I, I would challenge you with it as much as I wanna see people come to that moment. Repentance is more than the moment. Repentance is the rest of your life. You did the 180 and you're following him. And so we call people with boldness. Oh yeah, no, this is gonna change everything in your life. Yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna follow him from now on. You're gonna actually align your life to what he says. We'll see in the book of Acts, I mean, they did that unblushingly. They called people to that totally. Because by the way, that's what they had done in their lives. That's how they were living it. And, and then the final part of this good news, I love this. Well, he says, repent therefore. And then the final part, he says, there is only one true source of refreshment, Christ in our lives. I, I love in that verse that he says, he says, you repent. And then look at this. Your sins are blotted out. Look at that line, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Boy, isn't that a great line? Because it's not just, oh man, we gotta deal with your sin. It's not just, man, you gotta be forgiven. He goes, that's the starting point. You know what you have the rest of your life? The refreshment of Jesus Christ in you. Jesus living in you. That unbelievable change that happens in the moment that someone repents and follows Jesus, that now instead of a lifetime of sin, now I have a lifetime where the living water of Jesus Christ is flowing through me. I, I tell you that one of the best pictures of this for me is the city of Chicago. I don't know if you've ever been to Chicago, especially if you go you know, on St. Patrick's Day, the Chicago River, they dye it green with it. The river that goes through the city. You know, that river almost killed Chicago. Literally, literally almost killed. If you go back to the late 1800s, 1871, when the Chicago fire went across the city, the river should have stopped the fire. You know why it didn't? It had so much pollution and sludge in it, the river caught on fire. All the cattle yards, everything in Chicago, all the waste went into the Chicago River. And not only did that, it then went into Lake Michigan, which was their source of fresh water. And all that pollution then came back in as the fresh water. And it was killing hundreds of thousands of people died of dysentery and other diseases because of the filth of the river that went into the lake. And finally they looked up and they go, if we don't change anything, this city's gonna be wiped out. It would not be Chicago today because of that river. You know what they did? In, in one of the greatest engineering marvels of the millennium, it's been noted as such, they reversed the river. They went to the other end of it. Instead of everything flowing into the lake, they said, what if we did it the other direction? They dug 28 miles of canal. 
They moved more dirt and rock than was moved in the building of the Panama Canal. They built all these, these locks and gates in it. And then in 1900, they changed the whole city because they opened the gates and a river that had been filled with sludge and filth and had gone into Lake Michigan was reversed and the clean, fresh water of Lake Michigan flowed into that river and took it all the other direction. Totally changed the city. Guys, that's what Jesus has done in our lives. Every single one of us we had lives where the best we could give him is our filth. And it was killing us. And it's a one-way street. That's all we could bring to God. That's all that we had and no one can change it. And I don't care what religion it is. I don't care how hard you try. I don't care what kind of good person you think you are. All of us before God, that's all we had to bring him. Scripture says our best is like dirty rags. That's all we had. And then Jesus came. And I'm telling you, the moment you experience the forgiveness of Jesus, it's not just a cleanup for a moment, it's a total reversal of your life. Instead of my garbage to him, it's his life in me and through me. And it changes everything. And we get the privilege of telling everybody in the world that. Of using every opportunity to share that message. To point people to the only one that's gonna change their life too. Now as we do that, if you're like me, there's a certain conviction that I go, oh God, I need to do this more. God, I don't have this kind of boldness. God, I don't share this enough. That's so why I, I love the very end of this passage. After all of this message, after all these great things, they gather back as a church and you know what they start praying for? They pray for boldness. They say, God, we're scared. God, we wanna share this, but it's hard. They felt all that we feel. You know what they did? The presence of the Holy Spirit gives them the power to live this way. Look at the last verse. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. This isn't the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They've already been baptized, but they go, man, we need more of him. We need him to fall. We need him to fill us. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. If you're like me, you go, yeah, I need to point more. I need to share more. I need to give that more. You know what your starting place? Your starting place is not, okay, I'm gonna go out there and we're gonna do this. And if I just, you know, muscle up, I'm gonna start doing this more. It won't work. You'll stop. You know what your starting point is? Where their starting point was. God, this is a Holy Spirit thing. Would you fill me? Would you lead me? Would you fill this church? Would you fill our lives? Would you fill this place? Would we be just so encaptured by you? We can't help but speak about you. And you open your life to him in that way. In fact, as we finish out, we're gonna take some time here in communion. We're gonna take some time and remember what Jesus did. Remember that message and that truth of it. 
But I'm gonna ask during this communion time, man, it's also a great time to examine and reflect and go, I'm about to celebrate what Christ did. I'm gonna remember how he's changed me. I'm gonna remember how he reversed the whole flow of my life. But I would ask that you would pray this as well. Would you just examine, am I pointing other people to this message? Am I sharing? Has it so captured me? I can't help but tell other people about it. And I would encourage you, maybe you're here and you go, yeah, Tim, I've not done that reversal. I've not experienced that forgiveness. I don't know what it's like to have that, that living water in me. This would be a great opportunity for you right now. It, Peter makes it real simple. You believe, you turn your life around. You say, please forgive me. And you start following Jesus. And maybe your first act as following Jesus is taking communion with us today. That would be incredible. We'd love for you to do that. Maybe you're here and you go, I, I, I'm not ready to take that step yet. Here's what I would encourage you, don't take communion. We never do things here as a ritual. We don't just do it to do it. And so when the tray comes, you just let it pass you by. That's okay. We're just thrilled you're here as you keep exploring this. But I, I'm gonna ask if everyone would bow their heads just in this moment. Just take a moment to reflect where you are. Take a moment to just see what is Christ doing in your life. And ask yourself, am I pointing to Christ in the same way that the church did. And maybe if you feel a certain conviction, and if you are honest with yourself, you go, I'm really not very bold. Not even sure I have it in me. Would you ask in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Because where you fill a place, the natural overflow is pointing to Jesus. And maybe as you ask him that, he, he's gonna point out something in your life he's gonna ask you to give to him. Maybe he's gonna ask you to give control to him. Or there's something you haven't been dealing with that he convicts you in this moment. As we go to communion, don't you reflect that all of this is possible because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.